Everybody, welcome to Revved Up for Sunday. We're two out of the three clergy of St. Mark's Episcopal Church in New Canaan, Connecticut. I'm Peter Walsh. I'm Elizabeth Garnsey. And Father John's not with us today. He's in Taze, France with some of the youth of our parish, and I'm sure that they are having a, a deep uh, oh and meaningful gosh. time no together. Doubt about it. So today we gather around the second Sunday of Lent, a piece of scripture that is uh, part of Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. It's part of the training of the disciples. And the message is, as it is with the boss, so it is with the followers. And it is a yikes of a message. Mm-hmm. So here it is, Mark eight thirty-one to 38. Jesus began to teach his disciples that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said this all quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with the disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of the Father with the holy angels. Oh, this is a painful gospel. I mean, we could title this The Cost of Discipleship, but I don't think it's the same um, interpretation that's been used over the ages because um, sometimes we mistake what that cost or, you know, what the goal of laying down our lives is, I think. And because even while I studied this passage for today, I was just taken deeper into the um, radical nature of Jesus' call. You know, and, and it's kind of just more and more, you blanch more and more as you get more aware of what Jesus is really calling people into, us into. And um, if, I, if you don't mind, I'll no, just No, no, keep going. You're, you're right on. You, you know, are right on. I mean, and just to, to, you know, back up for a second again to remind us about Mark, it's this, uh, I read this guy named Chet Meyer, Ched Myers, who write, wrote a great book about the gospel of Mark called um, Mark's call of discipleship really and and it's all about this but he calls the whole gospel like an action-based hero narrative Mm. but unlike the roman roman biographies jesus is plain folk you know he's not elite he's this healer miracle worker he's always downplaying the miraculous and empowering the one who's healed and saying your faith has healed you um it's always like the underside of of the hero and his call is to like reclaim the great story of god's sovereignty and the um, kind of manifest jubilee of creation story. So Mark is like going mm. in the beginning, you know, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so, um, and then, you know, he's using Isaiah all the time to legitimize his message that there is a way to this and the way is discipleship and the way is like following Jesus down this path. And so here we are at this like high point where 
the next chapter, Jesus is going to turn and towards Jerusalem in Mark 9. And Jesus is sitting them down to like give them the unvarnished reality that he's going to be handed over to human beings who are going to kill him. But God's going to raise him up, you know, and that if they stay the course, if um, they'll see what's, what Jesus is about. But Peter just cannot hear what Jesus is saying. He's like, what do you mean you're going to be killed? You know, this is terrible. And while Jesus is calling them to take up a cross, um, other people in the culture are saying, take up the sword. You know, and the cross for us isn't like a military symbol. It's a, it's a vicious torture device. And they were putting, in Mark's time, they were putting insurrectionists to death on crosses. So they were everywhere. So for Jesus to say, take up a cross is like, go get your own electric chair and sit in it, you know, yeah. before you'll deny me and deny this path. Yeah. I think you're right on the nose with everything you've said. I was struck by the same thing, how extreme and how painful this is. Uh, Jesus predicts his own death uh, after he is, um, you know, denied and handed over and, mm-hmm. and, and killed. And that this, uh, for his followers, doesn't fit the different mix of messianic messages that they, they might have thought. I mean, the Hebrew scriptures do not have the suffering servant, the Isaiah 53 passages, right. their understanding of Messiah. Mm-hmm. And so that, you know, that comes shooting in. The second thing I just add is it's brutal. Mm-hmm. The thing is brutal. I mean, basically he's saying, I'm going to be brutalized and killed and you are too. And that uh, this is a message to his followers, and it's a message to the Markin community that you're talking about, which mm-hmm. is already in the question of being brutalized uh, and killed for following. And, and then, as you said, with the message that uh, it, you will rise, you will rise with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think f- we're just beginning to get it when we're nearly stunned into silence by what he's saying. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think it's another reminder that Jesus was talking about their here and now, you know, that this is like life and death right now. Yeah, yeah. And somehow over the centuries, we've succeeded in separating our reading of the gospel to eternity. You know, take up your cross and eventually you'll be with God in heaven, you know, and suffer your personal pains. Um, and eventually, you know, God will reward you. But in fact, we're called into like some serious questions about where our loyalties will lie. And in this, in this, our present culture and age that are, you know, scandalous to Jesus if we're going against the path of nonviolence. And um, I mean, I have a lot to say about violence, but, <laughs> but I think that's what Jesus was doing is like being willing to undergo violence rather than wield violence to conquer the so-called evil violence. Yeah, yeah. this is one of the great gifts you've brought to 135 of our podcasts, which is your continual Mm. uh, drumbeat about the question of creation and the fall. Uh, These are my words, not yours. But in the the role of violence in our culture and the role of Jesus as as the revelation of God being, uh, demonstrating the being of God, which is in its very being nonviolent and to teach this nonviolent way Mm -hmm. and ironically meets the greatest violence Right. Uh, in the solution of the nonviolent in the nonviolent way, I think that um, one of the things that uh, I, I found interesting, particularly looking at this again as we have in the past too, uh, you know, Jesus' command 
when he says, uh, you know, he calls his disciples and the crowd. So now he's speaking to everybody. Uh, if you want to become my followers, uh, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And just let's talk a little bit about how we've begun to think about that, that this is a choice uh, to follow Jesus. And the only reason you would do this is for his sake and for the sake of the gospel. This Mm -hmm. isn't a kind of masochistic deny yourself like you're going to starve yourself or do a lot of, you know, a super fitness run. This is not also that you have uh, some physical setback and it's your cross to bear mm-hmm. in life. That's not what this is about at all. And I think this is a passage that's often incredibly misunderstood. Mm-hmm. That this is choosing for yeah. Jesus' sake right. uh, to enter in to something that is that is very painful uh, for his sake, which is for the sake of the world, mm-hmm. the healing of the world too. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and I think, th- you know, these... This instruction or, you know, forewarning, I guess, will come back to haunt the disciples because of the passion. I mean, mean, in general, Jesus, I think, in this passage is saying don't measure, you know, what you gain and lose by, um, you know, the economy that you see in this empire because worldly success is not really my goal here. It's to undo the violence that's gripped all of humanity from the beginning of time, you know? And so when they get to the passion, um, Peter immediately tries to go save himself. You know, I never knew the man. Um, And it costs him so much. I mean, he is the price of his crushes him. yeah, Yeah. Crushes him. And Judas like sells Jesus for a few coins and cost him his whole soul, his whole life. And, um, you know, to, to, I mean, the benefit of the readers, us, and the people that first read Mark and Mark himself uh, is that they had already seen what happened to Jesus and they'd already experienced some form of resurrection and life was still hard. It was still brutal, but they still knew, you know, deep in their guts that, they, that this was right. And they saw Peter turn around and realize what he had done, you know, yeah. but, but, to, but to save himself cost him everything. And um, he realized it in time to like come back and realize what Jesus was saying, but he couldn't possibly have understood in the moment. No, uh, of course not. I uh, we were defending Peter recently in one of our podcasts, which I thought was fun, uh, and I'm reminded of um, the uh, uh, Gallico Cantu, uh, the the church that. Uh, commemorates Jesus's uh, Peter's denial of Jesus. Mm. There is uh, there is some statues outside with this, the the so called what we call servant girls in our uh, in our uh, reading of the Passion, and you the, the, they've so captured Peter's denial the face on of Peter. Mm. But I, I think that when Jesus is you know Jesus uh, at first. They, the context being that Peter says, you know, you're the Christ, you're the the Holy One of the Living God, and right. and uh, and and Jesus says, you know, um, it, it gives him a blessing for it. You know, you've received this from God, yeah. and uh, you, you know, Simon, son of Barjona, and and that you shall be Peter. And then he turns right around and uh, you know rebukes Jesus. So what ends up happening here, we get this, this word rebuke is the same rebuke that Jesus rebukes the demons. Mm-hmm. Right? And now Peter's mm-hmm. rebuking mm-hmm. Jesus. It's super, it's a super hostile term. 
And uh, interesting, I mean, Jesus and Peter getting a rebuke off, yeah, right? Yeah. Because Jesus turns right around and rebukes him. Right. I'd like to just say one thing about Jesus's rebuke of Peter, because I, I, I stumbled on something that I found quite interesting, uh, given that in a previous pod we were talking about Satan, uh-huh. and, uh, and one of the biblical commentators uh, 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 showed a different possible way of this. So one of those paradigms might be that uh, the, the Satan comes back at... at, at opportune time or in another yeah. season. And in the last podcast I was, uh, or some podcast ago, I was talking about how at the Kent school, when we read the, the gospel according to Luke, uh, that was one of the quiz questions that, that, that the Satan came back in Judas. But here we have the question of Satan uh, using Peter as a mouthpiece. Mm-hmm. That's how I'd always read it. But one of the other commentators said, you know, that's probably not necessarily true because uh, Satan, as you, you may remember from the podcast, means adversary. Mm-hmm. And now suddenly Peter is 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 Jesus's adversary. Mm-hmm. Get behind me. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it's just a sort of translation question for me that I kind yeah. of I kind of found of biblical interest. But it's super interesting. And um, Matthew uses the word stumbling block. And yeah. so in my Gerardian readings, it's it becomes scandal. You know, yeah. anything that's like a conflictual relationship that's going to lead you to take up arms or, you know, cast out somebody. Um, and I think they have a competition of vision. You know, Peter wants yeah, Jesus to go this way. He's buying in like we all want to do and his, all the disciples did, but Peter speaks for so many people to, you know, stay on this myth of redemptive violence where, you know, the only way to get rid of the oppressors is to um, kill them all or, you know, rise up and take back our power. And um, Jesus has a completely different vision, a completely different goal, because, you know, one empire is the same as the next. And I think for Peter to try to persuade Jesus into his mode of thinking, you know, we just have to be successful in this world, you know, and rise to the top. Um, We all have that impulse. And Jesus is like, this is the opposite of my mission, you know, get behind me. Yeah. Um, And I think that's what's, I think that's what Satan is here is simply the adversary, the stumbling block, the the blockade, you know, the one who would thwart mm-hmm. him from his vision. And yeah. um, and it's so costly temporarily and then so rewarding in the end. But Yeah, I, those are, that's really beautifully said. I agree with what you say and the way you say it. I, I think that one of the things that is of interest to me, and, and some of this you have to get on, on slightly different translations, but Jesus makes a command here, basically, you know, deny yourselves and take up your cross and follow me. That's a, mm-hmm. that's a Jesus command. Yeah. And then the, the rest of the pericope or the passage that we have, Jesus lays out four different reasons why this is a good idea. And in some of the translations, they all begin F-O-R. Mm. Okay, so, mm-hmm. you know, four F-O-U-R for F-O-Rs. And those, just to, just to look at those. So the first uh, support for his argument uh, is for those who want to save their life, they're going to lose it. Mm-hmm. And the second one is for what will a profit uh, if you have to forfeit. So that's the second four. The third, which we now translate in this, in the NRSV, is indeed was really earlier. Four, what can you give in return for your life? And then mm-hmm. the last one, we just say those who are ashamed. In the old days, it used to say, for those who are ashamed. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus is 
really laying out the documentation about, uh, he's just told us that we are going to die a brutal death. Yeah. And so it's like, whoa, boss, that, how can that be a good idea? Mm-hmm. This doesn't sound good because it goes against every human idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, take a look at the whole uh, Buddhist idea what of, of suffering and what do we really want but happiness, we, mm-hmm. which doesn't involve uh, this cross of the brutal death. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, much to say about that in another day, in another place, in another podcast. But these arguments mm-hmm. in which Jesus is saying, this really is the only true way. Because mm-hmm. if you go to the, you go the other direction, you're going to lose, right. you're going to forfeit, mm-hmm. you've got nothing for your soul here, and right. in the end, I'm going to be ashamed of you. Mm-hmm. I mean, he really hammers them yeah, with this. he does. And and also that word life, it can be translated in other ways and maybe would have more saliency for us if... Because suke, I guess, yeah. is the word in the Greek, not yeah. zoe, like the life of, of you know, ex- existential life, but yeah. your your inner, your essence and your soul and soul. yourself, right? Yeah. Soul. Yeah. So if we said, uh, but even self, you know, your, yourself, um, it could be translated that uh, those who want to save themselves will lose themselves, you know, those who lose their self for my sake and who would what will it profit you to gain the whole world and lose yourself, lose your soul? You know, it's different. Like losing your life is almost abstract. I think, um, I mean, it's not abstract if you're actually getting your head chopped off, but it's to me, we know what it kind of means to, to be gutted and to be like, lose your sense of self and become completely untethered, you know? So in a way in our modern world, maybe that would help us in a translation. Yeah. And you know, those, some of those other translations do have soul rather than life here. And, and, and take a look at, take a look at uh, American literature in the, um, you know, modern period, how many of those books are about people who've lost their soul mm-hmm. and are just adrift because they, they have no center, right? There's no center to their being. Yeah. And uh, they just, they just, you, you can know, tell kind of like a movie goer or yeah. something like that. Yeah. There's just nothing happening yeah. on the inside. And, right. No inner reflection and ability to even look inside or, or have any sense of who you are <laughs> from the inside out. Yeah. I mean, living, living, uh, I mean, it seems to me that what Jesus is always talking about more and more and more is don't waste your life mm-hmm. and make the right choices mm-hmm. in your life. And it's clear that when Jesus talks about it, if you're making your choices from the outside in, mm-hmm. in order to please the world, I mean, this is where we were mm-hmm. recently on the, the readings uh, for, for Ash Wednesday. If you're making your decisions about who you are from the outside in, it's over. Mm-hmm. It's game over. Mm-hmm. These choices should be made from the inside out. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just feel the need to like, underscore a little more about what how Jesus is using this phrase take up your cross yeah because imagine you're living in this first century in Mark's world and people your friends are being hung on crosses you know for you know it's really Jewish insurrectionists who are rising up against Rome and Rome is crucifying them and there's crosses dotting the landscape with bodies on them you know and so Jesus is not saying go nail yourself to a cross he's saying you know, the insurrectionists are like, fight with us, you know, get in the battle. It's, mm-hmm. he's really using a hyperbolic, I mean, he could be using a hyperbolic way of saying, don't take up the sword. 
you know, mm, take up the cross. And that, for us, it, it's so removed for us because we have no Super idea what a cross 100%. meant in that time. And for us, it's jewelry and it's a symbol of personal um, suffering. And it, it's definitely more than that for the people who reflect upon it. <laughs> it's so much more. But, but when we read it in the scripture in this passing way, it doesn't have the stark shock value that it would have had for him to say that. A hundred percent. And um, so anyway, I just, I just felt the need to make a big point of that because I think that it says to me that Jesus means seriously that for to deny ourselves is to really take a path of nonviolence. I mean, and, and that's a really hard thing to do and it has value for the individual. It has value for the collective. I mean, cosmically, it's humans against humans that do ourselves in. Our violence is ruining our world. We kill each other. It doesn't even matter what the boundaries are or what the borders are or who, what nationalities are doing it. To take up violence is to just keep killing, period. End of story. Like, and we can't even conceive of a way of ending violence any other way than calling on God to say, well, this is justified. This is our just war. This is our righteous violence to stamp out the enemy. And I just, I just think like, until we see that, nothing will change. Agree, agree. Uh, yeah, you, you said it beautifully. You're evangelist, evangelist with the truth. I agree completely. The, I know that when I was in seminary, I was reading some things about the question of the cross and jewelry and, and be like putting a, an, an electric chair around mm-hmm. your neck. Uh, and things like that, that this would be something of the equivalent or a firing squad. Mm-hmm. I'm reminded recently of a conversation I had last uh, yesterday afternoon with somebody in our parish who's uh, 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 a public figure and um, w- is potentially able to produce some things. And the person who he works with said, it w- this can't be released because your life will be in danger. That the the the, the you know, these are my words. The wackadoodles in our country will come after you and kill you. And uh, and the reason I bring that up is not just about the the unbelievable pervasive violence in our country, which is shocking and 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 beyond shocking, super scary. Uh, that when it is when it is faced uh, or pointed toward you. Mm-hmm. It's really scary, and that this is what is happening in the story here. Mm-hmm. That this that this potential violence is being pointed toward you mm-hmm. uh, in these stories. In other words, it's not just theoretical violence; it's violence that you have to fear for your life. Mm-hmm. This is a fear for your life story, mm-hmm. all over the place. Yeah, or don't fear for your life story. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. That's well said, Peter. I really. Yeah. That. Well, listen, folks, uh, thanks for, for being with us today uh, here on the uh, second Sunday of Lent in the passage that really brings us all up short. Uh, this is a bucket of cold water. And uh, I would mm-hmm. agree with you, uh, Elizabeth, if, we're, if we don't experience it as a bucket of, bucket of cold water, we've dumbed it down and we've, we've taken all the edge out of it because this is an edgy, edgy passage. And so uh, we, we pray for you as you wrestle with the same things that we're wrestling with here. Uh, and we trust that if there's anything that we can do here at St. Mark's to help you in your wrestlings, that you'll reach out and be in touch with us. So God bless you, and thanks again. Take care. Take care.